Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Flitz. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the debating dome of movie greatness. I didn't know we were debating today. Well, it's more like shared opinions and opposing viewpoints. Oh, okay. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Dave Brooks. And I'm Joel Hoover. Welcome to the Debating Dome! Yeah, it's good to be here, and it's good to be inside the Debating Dome, Dave, because at our time of recording, it is cold, and it's only going to get colder this week. They're talking temps coming in that are the coldest in almost 20 years. I don't know if I have personally felt 45 below temps, and that we might approach that. Air temps, not wind chill. That is saying something. Given how cold it gets around here, that's saying something that we're approaching a realm that generally isn't touched. I take that back. I have felt 50 below. It was a, oh, it was the wow. mid-90s. It was that date. The Tower of Minnesota. Now, you may not know this. The coldest temp ever recorded in Minnesota. 60 below in Tower, Minnesota. Air temp, not wind chill. And it was in the mid-90s. I think it was early 96. And the governor canceled school. And now... Wow. Deja vu all over again. The governor's already weighing, calling off school. Yep. Here in this part of the world, in the Bemidji area, 40-ish below, we'll see what we ultimately wind up with, but it's going to be harsh. We didn't mean for this to become an episode of Weather 101, but it is... a whole other podcast. Yes, it is a really interesting um, thing that is going on outside of the it's dome around us here. great movie viewing weather. You know, it it's is. It's too cold. Let's go in and watch a movie and warm up. That is precisely... Correct. Yep, that's what people can do at this time with the way the weather is. You so, can watch one of the box office hits, or you can pull out one of the more obscure guilty pleasures. And that is where we are going today for this particular episode of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, which is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Another great place to go on a cold day if you are looking to catch a flick. You can go to the Bemidji Theater located on Highway 2 just across from the airport. They've got their $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. They've got what's current coming in as well. It's the Bemidji Theater, and it is a great place to go. And we love being on board with them and having them on board with us as a sponsor for the podcast. Let me tell you a great story, if I may, real quick, about going to see a movie at the theater when it's really, really cold outside. Uh, we were big fans of doing it when it hit 30, 40 below when I was growing up. We went to see a movie down in the Twin Cities at the old Yorktown Theater, and we all went. We're bundled up. But as the movie's going on, you start getting warmer, so you take off your jacket, then you take off your boots, maybe, if you're really comfortable. And we're getting to the end of the movie, and my mom had done that. She'd kicked off her boots, and her toes started to get a little chilled now because it had been long enough. So she's reaching under her seat to find her boots, and she can't find them. She probably kicked them back, so she reaches further. She still can't. She gave it one good reel, under the seat and the lady behind her ah! she grabbed her boots so here my mom becomes the psycho in aisle 12 but hey that's just one of the many memories that can be coming up when you're going to see a movie in cold that cold could weather. be a pretty good b movie the psycho in aisle 12 <laughs> attack of the 50 foot woman a nice double bill <laughs> <laughs> that would be a that'd be a very ecl- eclectic double bill i think is the the 
the word that would be pretty apt for that. And it might be somebody's guilty pleasure. It very well could be. You can see why we're building up to this. Yeah, before we get into talking guilty pleasures, a couple of current items to get into. One is, and this is pretty relevant for if you are listening close to the release of the podcast, is that the Sweetheart movie is coming up in the very near future, and they've announced that it's going to be Grumpy Old Men. Yeah. But the Sweetheart movie is in the very near future, and we're looking forward to that coming up here pretty That's soon. A Minnesota classic right there. Yes. Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau. Yeah. And the Sweetheart movie has been a staple here at Paul Bunyan Broadcasting over the years. Um, did you Decades. Put, did you nominate any movies for it, Dave? Did, Actually, I nominated Grumpy Old Man. You did? I did. Okay. I nominated another one that made the final five that we had in the uh, the final vote. I'll bet I can guess. Oh, I, I don't think you'd be too surprised, uh, given that you know the list. Casablanca was one of the, the final five. I made a strong push for that one. Um, it came up pretty well short because Grumpy Old Men was uh, a far and away favorite. And that that is a favorite of Minnesota folk in general. And it really is just a good movie. It's It's becoming... A movie kind of like, uh, we talked about it before, like Christmas Vacation. When it first came out, it was, yeah, okay, it's kind of cute. Well, Minnesotans really embraced it, so we're a little skewed in our perspective. But everywhere else, they liked it about as much as Christmas Vacation. Now Christmas Vacation is a staple classic. It's it's become its own. It's a wonderful life in a way. And Grumpy Old Men is coming down that pike. Now, there are people in Minnesota every Christmas, New Year's, somewhere in there, they're watching Grumpy Old Men every Year and then maybe yep. a memorial. They'll watch Grumpier Old Men, where it's more in the summertime. Those both were really, really good movies. They found their place. There yeah. was talk of a third one at one point. I'm glad they didn't go down that road anymore. I think they told the story. It was a perfect example of a sequel. It's a lot more of the original, but it offered a little something new at the same time. Perfect idea of a sequel. Other news that has come about as of late: the Oscar nominations are mm-hmm. out for this year. Dave, are are you really all that excited about the Oscars this year? Things are kind of going a little sideways with this. Now, I'm a movie fan, so I'm a little <clears throat> I'm a little skewed with the Oscars, and I'm a big fan of the Oscars. Pardon the frog in my throat here this morning. Um, between the whole hosting issue, and I mean, I'm not talking about who they were talking about getting a host, but there's no host. Um, even the musical numbers, you know, they're not even going to be allowed to perform. At least most of them won't be because they're trying to cut down on time. Five nominees, only two will perform. Well, that, A, comes off as biased, and yes. B, it just, you know, well, what's the point of doing the show if you're just trying to keep it to whatever, whatever? I think there's ways you can shorten the telecast down, absolutely, but, you know, the interpretive dance routines they used to do, those should have gone away a long time ago, and I'm glad they did. But um, there's ways to shorten things down, particularly with no host, that it's just... I don't know. If you're trying to reach out to expand beyond the hardcore movie audience, I will watch the Oscars because I'm a fan. You will probably watch the Oscars because you're a fan. Most Americans are going to see what's on Channel 87. You know, they just they don't really care. Yeah. So trying to open it up, it's not working. And it's it's tough, too, when, when people don't feel like the Oscars are very mainstream or that there aren't that many, which is why they tried to create that separate category for popular films to get recognized because even this year I I look at the nominations and I'm not overly excited to see what's going to happen. Like for instance, out of the best picture noms, there are, there are a couple, I Bohemian Rhapsody being a best picture nomination. 
with all due respect, I feel like was thrown in there as an appeasement. I agree. Having that in there. Black Panther, which had been getting a lot of buzz last year in February when it came out, I'm glad kind of got remembered. Like, hey, we bookmarked this one. Let's make sure that we get it in there for the nominations. Is it going to win? Probably not going up against some of those, which is why the expansion of the Best Picture category is is kind of interesting. But otherwise, um, well, I didn't see Bohemian Rhapsody. I know a lot of people did, though. Um, otherwise, among that list, I've only seen the one movie. That's it. It's, you know, the Oscars, whatever the category, is supposed to be achievement. Yeah. You know, what? however you want to define achievement. Not necessarily popularity. Achieve. Wow, this movie really broke new ground or it went over well tread ground but it did it in such a way that it was to do however a star you, is born yeah. certainly is oh it's proof the of that. 15th version of that movie but it's the best you know i'm probably exaggerating but it's clearly the best version done uh nothing against dryzan clearly a huge star especially back when that version came out but lady gaga currently a huge star now uh bradley cooper directing it how he didn't get nominated for best director you know i think what would be interesting with the oscars is some behind the scenes how do, A, the movies get nominated, really, and B, how do they get voted on? So people are understanding, because a lot of times, well, it's political. Well, if you're best director and best actor, you don't usually win both. Why? Wouldn't that signify politics and not achievement? So th- yeah. that's always been a thing, but it's, it's kind of like arguing balls and strikes in baseball. You know, It's kind of fun to have that human element in there, because if it's only electronic, it just takes the heart and soul out of it. And if you're talking art... Well, then it is a matter of subjectiveness, but politics and art necessarily together, I don't think they make very good bedfellows. So anyway, the Oscar noms are out, and we will start to work toward the Oscars themselves, which are February 24th this year uh, that they will be coming up. I'm looking forward to February because usually that is TCM's 31 days of Oscars that they kick off. So I'll enjoy watching the, the old classic films they'll have on there. Another... Current item in terms of news, Dave, and this is a perfect bridge into our topic for today. Maybe you have heard, maybe you have not. There is a movie that is out right now that is in the category of so overwhelmingly bad that it's good. And is it January already? Yes, it is. Yes, January, <laughs> the graveyard of ships for movies, has produced a movie of such capacity, and yet maybe it's even a little bit beyond the movie Serenity, starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, which makes you do a double take and go, wait, they ended up in this? That's the buzz regarding this movie, and that it has a crazy, ridiculous plot twist, and that this movie is so terrible, you'll be entertained. This is, um, yeah... I obviously I haven't seen it. Obviously, I haven't heard that much about it except for guys. We got to hear about this horrible movie that's out. Um, there's probably a reason most people haven't heard about it because a they probably knew what they had. B there's a reason it's coming out in January. We've talked before that January is kind of the dumping ground, but there've also some counter programming. A lot of good movies will come out because there's not a lot of competition because some of the competition are movies like Serenity. Correct. But yeah. it's still a dumping ground. Yeah, it's an opportunity to kind of go against the grain at least a little bit and try to see if you can land one. Black Panther did that last year in February. That's not oh, yeah. t- that is not typically a, a area where you can really succeed 
movie-wise, box office-wise, they definitely went against the bill there, and it proved to be a terrific move. Yeah, great counter-Valentine's programming, So and it, yeah. w- and it worked, and it was really good. I mean, it's up for Best Picture, and deservedly so. Which brings us to our topic for today, which Dave has alluded to a couple of times. Guilty pleasures. You know what? When I said alluded to, I immediately thought in my mind, no, he just said I was pretty heavy-handed. Yeah, you were very heavy-handed with it, but that's part of what made it funny was you just just went right in and ripped the Band-Aid. Guilty as charged. Yes. So that would be... Serenity is one of those movies that would kind of fit under that category, but Guilty Pleasures is a pretty broad category, isn't it, Dave? You can yeah. define it many different ways. Serenity is too is too uh, early to say. You know what? What exact? How do you define a guilty pleasure? You know, as far as a movie goes, obviously it's it's almost right there in the definition of the wording itself. You feel guilty for watching it, but it is still pleasurable to watch something that most people do not derive enjoyment from, but for whatever reason, you do. Kind of straightforward, but, you know, is Serenity still in theaters? Way too early to tell. Let's go back to something, say, similar, like, say, Geely. It goes down as one of the biggest bombs of all time. Benefer uh, <laughs> in it, uh, Affleck and Lopez. Um, the movie was hyped because they were a real-life couple, and I think at the time they were engaged, and this is going to be great. And the movie came out, and it was the Cleopatra of its day. It was it horrible was and overblown. Awful. But it's, is it enjoyed to this day? Is Showgirls enjoyed to this day? Not really. It's, it's hard to gain that much enjoyment out of it, but that's not to say that, you know, it's like Showgirls has become a more of a cult classic to quick, watch it as bad as it is. Quick time out. Are you saying that Geely almost bankrupted a movie production company no, no, in no. the manner that Cleopatra no, did? No, no, that's you, you, that, <laughs> from a financial standpoint. No, I was like, whoa. I was talking from an artistic standpoint. You have Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, and they've had yes. this tour de fair in the tabloids, and well, we got to see this chemistry of which there was none on the screen, and the movie was horrible. Same with Geely. Same with Showgirls. It was so bad it was yeah. almost watchable. Maybe. But way overblown, way overcooked. I see now where you were going with that. I just thought that was funny. I was like, Financials Whoa. are a whole other thing. We, okay. that's, that's Ishtar and so other forth. Guilty pleasures can sometimes also constitute movies that, in addition to being so bad that they're good, that quality, or being a movie that you like that other people go, wait, really? You like that? It's also a, a movie that, in a different kind of tone, people could go, really? You like that? You know, like a movie that maybe you wouldn't expect a person to like. But generally, though, it revolves around qualities that are really – qualities that a movie possesses that make you go, this is not a great movie. But I really enjoy it regardless. That's usually where it revolves around. But it can also constitute – wait a minute. Dave Brooks, you like that movie. You like that movie. I like there's all little, kinds of movies. There's a little bit of that sometimes, too, that exists with guilty pleasures. Less so, but sometimes a little bit of that. Even more so, the word guilty coming in, where people will almost watch this movie almost literally in the closet. And you're a little embarrassed about Don't want to be caught watching this. You know, there's, I, there is that contingency, you know. There's something to be said about, you know, you're the quiet, shy librarian, but you love Rambo. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have figured that. See, exactly. That's what I was going toward. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's something about that, but I think where the guilty pleasure comes in, it's almost more of a stigma. Yeah. If you're caught watching it, or someone's looking at your DVD shelf, and you have this really, and if you're single and you can't, well, that's my wife. That's the kids. That's my. 
that's yours. You know, you have to own up to it. For me, it would be me being self-conscious about the rom-coms that I secretly like or or kind of have a a soft spot for. Yeah, Yeah. either you have to defend why you have it or like it, really, or you don't want to be caught A, liking it, B, watching it, C, enjoying it, you know. Now, this is a little bit different for everybody. But we're going to get into very now, subjective. Yeah, it's very subjective. But we're going to get into now some of our personal guilty pleasure movies, and maybe from these, you are thinking to yourself, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's movie that I that I keep tucked away because wh- I have a list for my favorite movies all time." When I went through that list, Dave, there were not that many on there that were guilty pleasure movies. Like they were movies that a lot of them are generally pretty well received. You know, there are some that are a little bit more meta but there are a lot that are pretty well received i had to do some real thinking to go yeah i saw that movie like once or twice and i was like you know what it was pretty dumb but i really like that movie a lot it's it just goes differently for everybody there's something to be said about whether the movie did well or didn't do well whether and if it didn't do well um there's reasons why but there's things in it that are salvageable yes you know things to watch even Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, it got really good box office numbers, but got horrible reviews. Does that mean that there's nothing in it at all that is salvageable? Well, of course. It's got some great visuals and stuff. Some people do like that movie. Some people like the Transformers movies, but they have a harder time watching that one when they're watching all of them in a marathon or whatever the case. Oh, it's Revenge of the Fallen. Well, this is the point where I poop, you know. Whatever, whatever the case. Whatever the case. The movies that are universally not loved... Not necessarily hated, but just off the radar, whatever the case, that have limited redeeming values, but we are one of those that are able to shine a spotlight on, ooh, this is actually, for me, not bad. All right, let's go through a couple, Dave. What do you have? Hit me. I've I maybe have mentioned some of these before, but they're probably tops on my list and probably have escaped most people's radar. The first one I'll bring up is a late 80s comedy called Real Men. Jim Belushi. John Ritter, and this is John Ritter, God love him, and he's gone now, but there was a stage in his career where I think even Mad Magazine had something. They had a picture of him in a word balloon. I can't be in this movie. Based on the script, it's crap, but he'd still sign it. You know, things you'll never hear John Ritter say, and this would be one of them. So like Nicolas Cage of the modern day? Kind of, kind of. He would say yes to just about anything, but a lot of them, if you go look at them, whether it's Stay Tuned or Real Men, there are there's a quirkiness to it that is kind of smart at the same time. So in this one, uh, John Ritter is a special CIA operative that is killed immediately in the opening credits. Well, he was on a very special secret meeting for the government. So they have to find an exact duplicate, you know, that looks just like him so that he can continue this mission. And he's a hapless, spineless, grocery store manager type, you know, that has no guts. And so Jim Belushi is another CIA operative that has to bring him on this cross-country secret mission. But here's the mission. The UFOs are coming to Earth. There's a bacterial infection that's going to wipe out all Earth within 10 years. All the aliens want is a drink of water. In exchange, they'll either give you a package to reverse this climate-changing problem, or they'll give you a weapon. It's a big gun that the Americans want so they can use it against the Russians. But the big gun will destroy an entire planet. Well, wait, wouldn't that mean they would kill us too? I don't know. They don't think about things like that. So it knows what it is. It knows it's a stupid movie. It plays to and that. pretty convoluted, And too. pretty convoluted. There's a gun shootout where, for some reason, John Ritter's finger becomes a gun, so he thinks. 
It doesn't really shoot anything, but it just kind of looks that way. It knows that it's stupid. It plays tongue-in-cheek to it, and for that, it finds its strength, and it works. And it does have some genuinely comedic moments. Now, here's how I define it as a guilty pleasure. Would I ever say, Hoof, I'm going to bring you this movie. It's pretty dumb, but I think you'll like it. No, because I'm pretty sure you won't like it. You know, and not for, you know, reasons that I'm not going to loan you Deadpool, reasons that are like, it's just, it's, I like it. You know, it's funny yes. for me. I'm not going to open this to anybody else. If you were looking at my shelf and said, do you mind if I borrow this? Your call, buddy. You can take it or leave it based on what you want to do. Real Men, I think 1988, something like that. It's really dumb, but I like it. <laughs> How do you follow up with that? Well, I don't know because that was such an absurd movie. <laughs> Just in you describing it, that I'm kind of intrigued now. I'm, well, a little intrigued. Don't go like no, getting me the movie. No, or you, you, if you ask, I'll loan it. But beyond that, I'm wow. no. And I, it's to the point where if you're really curious, if you're a big movie fan, and I want to watch everything, I've never heard of this. Go look for it. It's yeah. out there somewhere. But I'm not recommending it to anybody. It's you, really dumb. You know, I can appreciate a movie that is self-aware of its own stupidity. Oh, I, yeah. I can appreciate that, or is self-aware of its own ridiculousness. I can, I can really, I can tip my cap to that. That is, it's like, hey, well done, good for you that oh, yeah. you recognize that. If you, if you, it's, there's a difference between so bad it's good, just because you revel in its awfulness, Geely, Serenity. Ishtar, you know, the, this is a movie that is, let's take, I mean, who, who, somebody at a movie studio had to be presented this script and said, go with it, that had either really got the joke or just didn't get it at all and thought, it sounds like James Bond to me. Let's do it. You know, I mean, how it I came really together, hope man, it's not the latter. I really hope it's not the latter. How it got made, I couldn't tell you. It was, I think it was from MGM, so wow. who knows, but it was, I'd never heard of anybody other than the actors involved in anything else. It, it is its own thing. I don't know how to describe it. This movie is a little bit more recent. It's from 2006. It, it's a movie that I think, in some circles, is really enjoyed. And especially among my family, we like watching this movie. We know that it, my brothers and I in particular, we know that the acting is not great. We know that some of the action sequences are not the greatest, but it's still a madly entertaining movie because when you look at this movie within the larger world that it now exists in this is quite a build-up this is such a different movie from the others that exist within this movie franchise world and that's part of what makes it really unique do you know where i'm going with this i'm talking about the fast and the furious tokyo (laughs) drift okay that is i was going through a couple of lists Doing a little bit of research, thinking about you know what else, what else out there is considered a so bad it's good movie. It to- is considered the low point of the franchise. It is Tokyo Drift popped up on on a list, and I was like, hey, you know what? There are some things in this movie that make you go, this is like a B movie. But then you think about it, and it's like, hey, you know, this is actually a pretty enjoyable movie still because of the drifting, and it's something a little bit different, and. The typical Fast and Furious crew isn't around in, in this movie until you get into later movies then because you get the cameo that's at the end. And, spoiler, in case you haven't seen it, Vin Diesel pops up. There he is. And he's at the end of the movie. But then you get Han, who also appears in the future movies as well, and apparently, turns out, 
those came before Tokyo Drift in terms of chronology within the series. So it's just so different. Lucas Black, it's like, I don't know, he feels like you're trying a little bit too hard here. You get Lil Bow Wow, which was fun. Just fun having little bow wow. We'll just throw everything to the wall, and maybe some stuff will stick. Right was and the impression I got. It's just a very different movie, but I really enjoy it. I, I if it's on TV, I'm gonna sit down and go. Sweet, Tokyo Drift is on. Or hey, look, TV Guide, Tokyo Drift is on. Maybe I will tune in for a little bit here, and maybe I'll do some work. Um, work on getting notes ready for a future broadcast and let Tokyo Drift be on in the background. It's I, just a, it's just an enjoyable Fans, one. I promise you, if you were hanging out at Hooves' house and he says, hey, let's watch a show, I know a good one, I promise you, they're not all bad. They're not all bad. He's got some good taste. Wow. <laughs> wow, Dave. See, that that's the point of the guilty pleasure. It's, Zing! Yeah, it, it may be there for some. Apparently, Tokyo Drift does not do it for you. I don't like really any of those. I mean, up until Tokyo Drift. The, uh, the newer ones after uh, with the fourth one, Fast and Furious, whatever they called it, um, they got better. But even then, they're kind of, eh, eh. This movie, I think, helped them get the rudder in the right direction. In, a, in, in an inadvertent way, in an indirect way, this movie kind of helped get the Fast and Furious franchise on a track. Because it didn't really have much of a track to this point. This was just... Hey, it's another Fast and Furious movie. We're just going to go completely offbeat with it. But then at the end, you realize, wait a minute, the world is opening up here. Dom Toretto is back in this. It was like, to me, it was like Gone in 60 Seconds. It was eye candy, but with a real hollow story. It was, you know, yeah. a dinner of candy. You yeah. know, you, it's really sweet, but ultimately you don't get anything from it. I've, I saw the first two Fast and Furious as I skipped Tokyo Drift. I saw Fast and Furious. I think it was the fourth one. Yes. And it was much better. To my, what I've seen is the best of the bunch. I've not seen Fast 6 or any of that. Um, but I've heard they're getting a lot better. But Yeah, the word family gets thrown around yeah. more and more with each movie. Yeah. So I, didn't, I didn't see the most recent one, but they're, they're starting to trend into... Spin-off, okay. spin-off we, territory now. Oh, yeah, they are. With they got the Hobbs. Shaw and Hobbs. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, that's... Uh, we're we're getting a little bit too deep here, but anyway, Tokyo Drift definitely very good guilty pleasure fodder. Okay, it, I, that's one that's one of them that I have not yet seen, and maybe one day I will, and I will think of you. All right, let's go another one. One that was so bad they actually made a joke about it in Family Guy. So it is so underground that it has got a cult following as to how good it's not. There's a scene in Family Guy where Chris Griffin is going to talk to some. Kind of like the, the the comic book guy version and Family Guy. Oh, this is a great movie. You'd love this movie. Have you ever seen this movie? No, I never saw. It. Yeah, you don't need to see this movie. And this is the movie they were referencing. It was sort of a. It was from the early eighties, eighty two, eighty three, somewhere in there. I think it came out about the same time as Return of the Jedi. It's sort of a cross between Star Wars, Excalibur, and Lord of the Rings, called Crawl. It's very sci-fi. It's got a very similar premise to Star Wars. The bad guys... Crawl as in, I'm crawling on the ground? K-R-U-L-L. Crawl. It's the name of the planet in this movie. It's about this group of bad guys. They're all aliens and monsters, and they steal this princess. And now the good guys, a ragtag group of hastily assembled guys, have to go and rescue the princess from this beast in the lair. And it's it's very... it's 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 Lord of the Rings, but with laser beams. 
It's it's kind of like that. You know, it's not about the force, but it's about like a Chinese shooting star called the glaive. It's like a shooting star that you can control with your mind and it's got blades on it and you can shoot fire from your hand. And Hoove is looking at this computer right now and he's looking up Curl and his face is going weird places. What? Huh? It is, it's an absolute knockoff of a lot of that territory. But also yeah. in the early 80s, this is when a lot of that fantasy sci-fi was at its peak. You had Conan the Barbarian. You had Star Wars, of course, at the forefront. You had you know things like The Beastmaster. You had uh, you know all these movies that were in that vein, and this one was different. But what does set it apart is, for one, it's pretty much an established group of who would either – they were well-known from the Shakespeare Theater Company or would become future stars – um, Liam Neeson got a small part in it. It was one of the first roles he ever had. Um, there's other people that also fit into that role. You had um, great soundtrack score. James Horner had broken recently into movies, and he had just done, I think, Star Trek II before that, which was a rollicking adventure score. And this one yeah. is in that same yeah. genre. It's one of the things people remember most from it. The, uh, the special effects were spectacularly done. Um, there's a couple scenes where they don't quite live up, but it lived up as good as anything at the time. The story is thin. The acting is great, but they really thought, Columbia Pictures put it out, they really thought it was going to be a huge hit, and it just wasn't. It was maybe too difficult to market or whatever the case. Now, to watch it, I can remember when it was new and we had a bunch of kids in the neighborhood. We loved it. We thought it was great. All of us did. But it was not a hit. It's only a cult classic, and it's never really caught on. To a point where a friend of mine one time, he was a big Lord of the Rings fan, and we were just going to do movie night, and I suggested it because I thought it might be in his wheelhouse, and he got maybe three quarters of the way through it. He was like, I, no, no. I <laughs> said, but you, you're 75% through. You got to find out. And I, no, I don't. I don't. I need to. Best part is the end. Well, no, no. no. Good try, Dave. That, you know, is it worth a shot? That was a valiant effort. Is it? Is it worthless? No, it really isn't. There's a lot there to enjoy, but it's... Uh, the the knockoffs are not at strength. Maybe it seems real familiar. This is interesting. I pulled up the Wikipedia for it. Third paragraph starts this way: Crawl underwent a very expensive, harsh, and dangerous production process. That makes me go, what? Yeah, and then just to look at the uh, the release poster for the movie. It is this guy with, I, I don't know if that's a mask or what, what's going on there, and it's like he's shooting lasers out of his fingers. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's it's not, it's not without merit. And I think even beyond just me, by the same time, like I said, I know people that do like it, but I know people that don't ever want to see that movie. for They've never heard of it, or they don't want to see it, or they've seen it, don't ever want to see it again. It's, there's a reason why it wasn't a hit, but there's a reason why I'm talking about it on a podcast, you know, 40 years after they made the thing, that it is not without merit. It is worth checking out, if that is your wheelhouse, if you love... Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Star Wars and anything fantasy-wise, and you thought the Beastmaster was critically underrated, then this one might be up your alley. Yeah, it's described as a science fantasy swashbuckler, so that, yeah. that's a whole lot of things based yeah. into one. There's things to take away from it, we'll put it that way, but yeah. it's not going to be on my recommendation list. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater as we continue talking about guilty pleasures in today's guilty episode. Guilty crawl pleasures. You're just going to try to 
you're going to try to slip that in there, crawl where you can, right? And, and maybe eventually it's going to drop into people's subconscious, right? No, but if we if we had rights to soundtrack, I would be playing it underneath. It was that good. Wow. Yeah. Well, James Horner, I can I can believe that. And yeah. early James Horner, yeah, before he got into the the steel drum for the phase he did with Forty Eight Hours and Commando. I mean, this was. You know, think, if you if you know Star Trek Two, that's a great soundtrack. Yes, it's, it is. It's very much like that, plus gothic. All right, here's a movie that I have actually only seen one time, but I heard so much about it previously that I I had to watch it, and it was it was an experience to watch this movie for the first time. I'm trying to remember what year it was. I'm looking this up here, um, 1984 movie, and it was. It was a sequel that was released seven months after its predecessor. How amazing is that? And I'm trying to think what movie this might be. This movie has gone down in history, not really for the the quality of it, um, which is not great. It's more so go down gone down in history as a punchline for sequels. And I'm talking about Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo. Never heard of it. Re- really? Never heard of I it. I am amazed. Your mo- your personal movie library in terms of the movies you know, Dave, is remarkable. What's it called? It's called Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. I may have glanced past it with my eyeballs, but it did not register on any level of my consciousness whatsoever. Like I said, its legacy <laughs> is more so in the second part of its name. Electric Boogaloo has become synonymous with sequels that are either hurried out or are kind of nonsensical or you go did there did there really need to be a sequel there you, was, i didn't you know put, there was a sequel was there a break in one yes i never heard of any of those there was a previous movie called breakin and it was yeah it, it was the break dancing film breakin that had come out earlier in 1984 this was another break dancing and dancing movie um where there are characters from Breakin', the original one, who work to stop their community center be- from being demolished, is okay. basically the point of it. And all along the way, they dance a ton. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot of dancing that takes place in this movie. And the music, it is, oh man, it, it's, it's eclectic. It, it's like the 90s before the 90s, with the colors that the people wear, and... The music is is really funky that they've got for it, but anyway, the electric boogaloo part is what has become synonymous with sequels. Like if you if you slap on just electric boogaloo onto something, it's a metaphor and a joke for um, offbeat sequels, basically, or ridiculous sequel titles. Is it one of those movies that's kind of like a? Uh... It's a music video for breakdancing with a real paper-thin plot just so that you can give a reason to call it a movie and not a video. And basically, it's just music and dancing. That's a pretty apt description okay. of it. Yeah. Okay. A, lot of, a lot of that that goes on in there. It, it's just an excuse to have a whole bunch of breakdancing and a whole bunch of people who participate in doing such breakdancing. Okay. So, bottom line, I watched it one time. TCM one time showed it, funny enough. And I watched it one evening when I saw it was going to be on. And it was it was mesmerizing. Did they have the little watermark TCM logo on the bottom of the screen and a big red X went over the C part? Because it wasn't such a classic after all. Hey, they play a little bit of everything. Even the <laughs> movies that go down as maybe not necessarily being 
classic, so to speak. This was th- this was something though, watching Breaking Two because I had heard so much about it, and people who would make jokes like Electric Boogaloo related jokes for sequels that I was like, okay, fine, I need to actually watch this and see it for myself. And it was it was amusing in its ridiculousness, and it was more of a dance vehicle than anything. But I was entertained. Okay. This is one from the past that maybe some people won't get. It's a little more abstract, a little more obscure, but there was a show kind of in the genre of uh, when TNT back in the 90s used to do Joe Bob Briggs' Monster Vision, if you remember this. It would be like a a B-movie that they would break in every so often and the host would talk about things. They did a version kind of like that prior to that. It was in the late 80s and early 90s on the USA Network called Saturday Nightmares. And it was a different movie every every Saturday. It was a, usually a B-run movie, but every once in a while they'd have like Friday the 13th or something. But a lot of times it was some movie you'd never heard of before. And then either before the movie or after the movie, they would have two of those anthology episodes, whether it was The Hitchhiker, if you remember that. It was kind of like a Twilight Zone-esque short show or I think Tales of the Crypt kind of thing. The Hitchhiker... Alfred Hitchcock presents Tales from the Dark Side, and they would show one episode of each of those. So it was like a three, four-hour long thing, one B-movie and then two short anthology episodes. And there was no host. It was just – but a lot of the times you'd watch this movie, and I would write things off. Like, hey, dude, we're going to go out and do this thing on Saturday night. Oh, no, I can't. Saturday Nightmares. Occasionally you'd have friends come over to watch it, and then they realize that mostly it's B-movies, and they were like, "Eh, I I don't know. This is – yeah, where's this? No chainsaw on this. You know, it's just a pack of rabid dogs, and everyone's Australian. Well, yeah, the movie was made in Australia, but this was a horrible. We're going to go do something else. It was one of those things. It was a guilty pleasure, legitimately. It follows the realm of guilty pleasure. I would push things off to, to watch it because I'm such a horror movie fan anyway. It was something atmospheric. Maybe it was the intro to the show. I'm not really sure, but it just was a good way on a Saturday night to just immerse yourself into a blanket that was spooky stuff. So it was like the Alfred Hitchcock hour, except it was these vignette sort of type movies. You can find some of the vignettes like on YouTube. They're still there. Okay. But there was no host. It wasn't like a Jim Bob Briggs where it was tongue in cheek. It was kind of meant to be and presented as creepy and horrific. But I mean, the movies generally would feature things like The Toxic Avenger and Basket Case. And if you know older horror movies, then you know what we're talking about. Rarely was some big marquee show like Nightmare on Elm Street shown. Rarely. And then, of course, if you remember those old anthology shows like The Hitchhiker, and they were all kind of in the same genre. Tales to the Dark Side probably lives on a lot better than those, and those were creepy intros. I mean, they just, they creeped you out before even the show began. But each one of them was, you know, kind of Twilight Zone-esque, where it was a story that had a weird, morbid, you know, twist or something to it. And it was just kind of cool. Kind of left you in an unsettled mindset just before bed. And when these things came out, I was, I don't know, when they started, I was probably like 10 when they started. And they'd go into the 90s and, you know, but it was to the point where the guilty part comes in. You'd invite people over or people would just come over. And then it got to the point where people, A, didn't want to invite me on Saturday nights because they knew what Dave was doing. It was Saturday nightmares and, oh, jeez. So, yeah, guilty pleasures. I think I learned a lot about you right now, Dave. <laughs> I feel like I learned a lot about you Sometimes, in this moment. It's not that every Saturday night I was like, nope, 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 can't do it. You know, there, Of course I did. But there were some nights I was like, you know what? This, I'm feeling this. I want to do it. So Thy next own time, self be true. So next time somebody waves me over and goes, so Joel, Dave, what's, what's, the, deal? what's the deal with him? 
I can explain. Well, Saturday this nightmares. is why Saturday nightmares. They they did something to him with his brain early on. There I was the one of the parts that was fun <laughs> about it was that it was. I mean, the USA Network now is so slick and so produced. Back then, it was so much different. It was kind of like, let's just have fun. Let's have fun. Even the trailers for Saturday night this week on Saturday Nightmares was tongue in cheek. They knew that it was what it was, but it was fun. It was it was the, if you watch Monster Vision, which they used to do on TNT, similar but not the same. It was also then tongue in cheek. It was a very drive-in, tacky, cheesy. You can find full episodes of that on YouTube. It was the enjoyment was the hokiness and knowing that it was hokey. And if it was scary, bonus. But even if it wasn't scary, it was still the the whole, just something with Halloween wrapped around it, even if it's like the Peanuts Halloween Great Pumpkin episode. It's not scary, but it's Halloween, and I love that. It's a blanket that you can wrap yourself up in, whether it's scary And you can take that in any time. Yeah, yep. it's, it's fun and it's enjoyable, and with someone that loves all things scary, specifically when you're a kid, and you're a little more able to handle it than you used to be when you were a kid, now you can kind of wrap yourself up in it and you know either be frightened or enjoy that you're old enough to handle it. All right, I'm going to swing into the realm of the animated, and a movie that I think is... I don't know if, if people would have considered it like to be a flop, although I, I think some people looked at it and went, oh, this, isn't, this isn't really that great of an animated movie because... The animation is not very great in it. Like, you watch it and you go, this is kind of weird in terms of the animation. Well, I think that was kind of the point because it was on a very strict budget for starters and it was an independently made movie for another thing. You could consider this in the realm of the of either underrated or maybe a guilty pleasure depending on how you view it. But man, I love Hoodwinked. I love Hoodwinked. Heard of it. It's a hilarious movie. I will let you borrow it sometime if you would like. The animation is dreadful. Yes. But when you consider that it was independently made and when you consider that its budget was, I think it says here, less than $8 million, which I can believe that. It made $110 million then at at the box office. It was mixed in terms of the reviews that came for it. I crack up watching this movie it is hysterical what's it about and who do the voices well basically it's it's like a crime movie on little red riding hood and and the wolf scare and and the big bad wolf scaring uh going going to grandma's house and then little red uh coming showing up they do a crime movie based on it and then they put it within this world and they add a lot more in terms of layer and depth to it in terms of a whodunit for this movie and it's kind of it's kind of a whole big flashback is a lot of this movie as they go through the crime that has taken place which is um this big bad wolf coming to grandmother's house and little red then showing up and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that gets layered into it as well but it's really uh, it's a funny take on an old tale and they got some really great voice actors for it. Anne Hathaway, Glenn Close, Jim Belushi, Patrick Warburton. Funny, uh, Jim Anthony Belushi has Anderson. shown up in two of these movies and so have Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Something to be said there. <laughs> Maybe so. So anyway, it's it, it's a movie that I, I think it depends on your taste, but I think a lot of people look at the animation and would go, this is not that great for the animated movies that were around at that time. But then me, I look at it and go, I think this movie kind of realizes its limitations, and they just have a ton of fun with the script, and it is hysterical then as a result. Plus, 
Patrick Warburton saying anything makes me laugh when, especially when he's trying to do it in a very drab, dry manner. And then it's like, dude, that's always the way he says it, though. Yeah, and and then when he's talking to um uh, to the squirrel Twitchy, uh, who is. Who is just hysterical? That just adds another element to it as well, because Twitchy is this really fast-talking squirrel in the movie, and then, and then you've got the deadpan Patrick Warburton sarcastic responses to it, and it's just great. That's funny. I'll have to let you borrow it. Sometime. I, it, it rings a bell. I know I've never seen it, but uh, it rings a bell. When, when that came, like early two thousands, mid two thousand five, two thousand five. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it rings a bell, but no, I don't think I ever saw it. How about one more for each of us? Well, this is one we can kind of both kind of jump in here together, a level more abstract again, but we talked about, you like that kind of movie? We're movie fans. If they're entertaining, that's what matters, even if it's a romantic comedy. Oh, boy, here we go. Am I a fan of rom-coms in and of themselves? No, not really. But are there some movies that are in there that... I'm a big fan Catch of... Catch a soft spot. Yes. Yes, I am. If they're good, if they have a good story, whether they're sappy, whether they're funny, then yes. Um, one of my favorites is a Billy Crystal one that's kind of in the vein of When Harry Met Sally, but it's um, called Forget Paris. He and Deborah Winger. He's an NBA basketball ref. You might actually like this movie. <laughs> and it's this couple that meet over a long distance. They're it's trying really to make obscure. it work. They, they get together. They break up. They get together some more. It's it's a great movie. It's good, and if you like Billy Crystal comedies, it's all about Billy Crystal because he actually directed it. So it's it's a great movie. It came out in the mid nineties. Um, even Kareem Abdul Jabbar appears in it. You know, of course, he's a basketball player playing Kareem Abdul Jabbar, but it kind of works. And he's been in a film or two. Yeah, most notably Roger Murdoch. No, I'm an airline pilot. <laughs> so you know, between that. Another really good one. We talked about uh, the Sweetheart movie coming up. The, one of the first ones that we did when I was with the crew was Serendipity. John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. Very syrupy, sweet, you know, will they, won't they kind of thing. And it was one of the more popular Sweetheart movies we'd ever done. And it was new at the time. It came out in 2001. Um, it's a great, syrupy, sweet movie. And I like John Cusack. I'll see just about anything he's in and loved it. I think it's a fantastic movie. And it's all about love and fate, really. Kind of deep for a guy that likes, you know, explosions and ex- aliens. And But I loved it. Yes. So if it's a good movie and it's got something enjoyable about it, go for it. I know it was generally appreciated in terms of a movie, but it's still a rom-com. So if there's a movie like that that kind of breaks the wall for me and, and sort of breaks through my my barrier of I'm not a rom-com guy, I'm not a rom-com guy... I saw Notting Hill on TV one time. Okay. And actually, no, I think I saw it on Netflix first. I gave it a try on Netflix. And I was like, oh, wow. This is a really good rom-com. Yeah. I, don't, I can't believe I'm saying this right now, but this is a really good rom-com. I felt a little bit embarrassed. It was like, I don't want to tell anybody this. Like, what are they going to think of me? I'm, Guilty this a, pleasure. This is a rom-com. Like, what's going on? But it was so touching, and it was so good, and it was humorous, and oh, yeah. There's something to be said about that, but I mean, rom-coms lately have kind of fallen out of favor because for a long time they just became paint by number. Yes. Almost like what you see on Hallmark nowadays. I mean, I'm not knocking it. We've talked about that before, but it is so 
by the numbers each and every movie. But the Crazy only- Rich Asians kind of helped change that way of thinking. This past year, a lot of people were like, hey, you can still get the rom-com formula right if you come up with something that's different than the typical formula. Yeah, if you think of rom-coms in general as an engine, well, that was one pull of the rope. But the engine hasn't started back up yet, you know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe it was a... But maybe this is something. Maybe there'll be another one. That... At some point, we'll get to that point. Maybe. I think it'll come back around. But it's, I mean, there's a huge market for it, but you got to do them right. And just about anything with Matthew McConaughey in it with a rom-com that wasn't, how, that wasn't um, Failure to Launch, which was the best one he'd ever done. And I've seen all of them because I had girlfriends that loved them. And But a lot of them are just... Yeah. It's a cycle, I think, with the rom coms, and I think it may come back around though eventually. But I think it's we got to get this guy. We'll get him into it. We'll come up with a movie that'll showcase showcase his talents as an actor. But the the plot is stupid. You know, there's something to be said about that. But there's also something to be said about getting some heart for one, and a good story for two. And I mean, look at any romantic comedy with Billy Crystal. I can't think of one that isn't good at all. Harry Met Sally. It's like maybe the pinnacle of the rom com thing with he and Meg Ryan, and she went off and did her own thing because she was so adorably cute, and she just dropped off the map after that. But yeah, it, you know, she could sell a movie based on her personality. Oh, she had her time. In the oh, 90s. yeah. Even yeah. if the movies weren't those that good, she was just so darn cute. Gosh darn it. That's what she was. America's sweetheart is voted by People Magazine and Time Magazine, and so all the '90s. What a time! Yeah. Hey, I want to go to bat really quick for a movie that I like a lot. That people routinely will say, "Oh, that wasn't very good," or "Hey, that was the worst out of those three movies." This is the episode to bring it up. I want to go to bat for Ocean's Twelve. Okay. I really want to go to bat for that movie because maybe some would consider that a guilty pleasure movie for me because I love all three of those movies. When I talk to people about those movies, it's often, Ocean's 12 wasn't very good. And I'm like, now wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm still very entertained by that movie. They tried to do something different with that movie. They went a different route. They went to Europe, they did a different kind of heist. With that movie, they had a different kind of creativity when it came to solving that problem. Yes, there was a little bit of a bailout in the end that Danny Ocean and crew got at the end of that movie. But even still, I am still very entertained by that movie because it's more of the the layering of the these guys just really enjoy making a movie with each other that you see go on within that movie. It's humorous. You get all these great locales and places that they go to throughout the course of it. And it's a different kind of movie. And people just keep on going, well, it's not a very good movie. I will go to bat for that movie. Maybe that's a guilty pleasure for me since I really like the other Oceans movies in the trilogy. But I will go to bat for that movie every time because I still am very entertained by it. Even though it's not quite the caliber of the other two, I still like it. It's not like it's a, oh, it's not like the other two, so it's bad. No, I think it's good. It's, I'm not going to tear it down. You know, it's, it's it's my least favorite by far. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And there's, this, there's plenty to be redeeming about it. But see, people, when they say it's my least favorite to that, they'll then go, as a result, it's a bad movie. And I go, no, I don't think it's that way. If there was no such thing as Ocean's Eleven, the remake, and Ocean's Thirteen, and they just had this group come together to call it, let's call it, let's call it the movie Heist. It wasn't Ocean's Twelve. It was called Heist. Let's just say. It was its own thing. It would have come out, it would have got some hype, it would have disappeared, but it would be, you know, a guilty pleasure movie. It gets a different pedestal because it's the middle part of 
essentially the Ocean's trilogy. Ocean's Eight is kind of its own thing. Yeah. Um, uh, good movie though, but its own thing. Um, yeah, there's there's lots to enjoy about it. The whole Julia Roberts as Julia Roberts. You know, that was yeah. funny. Ha ha ha. <laughs> yes. I get it. Probably best part of the movie. Yeah, there's a lot to redeem about that. That'd be a very appropriate guilty ple- guilty pleasure. Movie. Exactly. Which is it end up it ends up working out pretty well, even though the movie is thought of a certain way. It works out pretty well for this particular topic. There's a reason why on my DVD shelf we jump from Ocean's eleven to thirteen. Well, shouldn't there be a twelve? No. No. It doesn't belong here. We shall not speak of it. <laughs> okay. There's this, a lot redeeming about it. I understand this, exactly this why This podcast like might have a problem moving forward <laughs> for the two of us. It may not be Rick and Nick anymore here if this is how it's going to go. We all have a third person, the EMT, waiting for fisticuffs. Either that or... A, good name for a podcast. Either waiting that or a mediator of some kind to help the two of us. <laughs> I don't know. Ocean's 12 had its moments. At its moments, yeah. Well, yeah, guilty pleasures. You may have them. You may have those movies that you go... Oh, I know this isn't a very good movie, but I still really enjoy watching it. And that's the the funny thing out of these movies and with others that have become cult classics that are terrible movies. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who love The Room because it is one of the worst movies ever created. There is a following of people. I mean, they made a movie about the making of that movie. It's proof that, hey, if it's dreadful... It may very well get itself a following and become a guilty pleasure that's that you may Franco really one, enjoy. Right? Uh, that's the the movie about the movie is the James Franco. Oh, one. Okay, okay, yeah. You know, put it this way: we've we've advocated before. Take a chance. Go see a movie that interests you because it interests you, not because this is the movie you have to see. If you don't see this movie, you'd better be dead. This is critically and box office that's, wise. That's fantastic that you want to go see those movies too. But if you see a trailer or you hear a synopsis about something that's coming up and for whatever reason, for whatever component about it interests you, go see it. It might turn out to be a bad movie, but for whatever reason, something about it you find entertaining. And ultimately, isn't that what this is about? You want to see something that entertains you. Maybe not the rest of the audience, maybe not your spouse, maybe not your boyfriend, girlfriend, but you want to watch it. That's right. So keep that in mind and be okay with that. Yeah. I don't have a problem putting on a movie that I like that my wife won't. We have a deal. If we're watching a movie that I know she won't like, well, then she gets a foot rub through the entire movie. And she'll usually fall asleep in the middle of it anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I get to watch my movie and she gets a foot rub. So it all works out in the Sometimes that just means we're watching Star Trek. Sometimes it just means it's a guilty pleasure movie. Whatever. But, you know, she's happy. (laughs) And her feet are really happy. All right. So this has been Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Good place to go to catch a movie. Or maybe to catch one that looks like, hey, you know what? Maybe I'd like this even though other people around me, my friends, my group of friends, they may go, what? You're into that? Yeah, Yeah. that may be your place to go to catch that movie. $5 movie nights are on Tuesdays. It's the Bemidji Theater located on Highway 2 just across from the airport. Well, that was enjoyable, Dave. We are your own Guilty Pleasure Podcast. What does that say about the quality of this podcast? It's damn good. Well, okay. (laughs) I hope so. I'm biased. I hope so. I hope we're not a guilty pleasure for sake of... They're so bad, they're good. Although in that right, 
hey, maybe we're that Don't entertaining. Don't even care. Yeah. It is what it is. Maybe then we're, we're entertaining at least. So, all right. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. We'll let you ponder that. We'll ponder that. And we will see you at the movies.